been more than 40 years now since the great American philosopher and philanthropist Dolly Parton penned an anthem for anyone who's ever weighed the value of overtime pay against the value of a good night's sleep. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five The pandemic has caused all of us stress, both chronic and acute, and each takes its toll on our health. And nowhere has the stress of the pandemic been more apparent than in the front lines with healthcare workers. Back in January, the Washington Post Kaiser Family Foundation took a poll that showed that more than half of healthcare providers say they are burned out. That's every other doctor, nurse, surgeon, and therapist that you might meet. Half, with many of them saying that the worry and stress of the pandemic is having an impact on their mental health, their physical health, family life, and their relationships with their colleagues. There is no doubt about it. It's stressful to work in healthcare. We asked an advanced practice nurse we know, to read her calendar for us just one day to give us a glimpse of what she faces every day. A typical schedule for a full-time working mom of three, you want to know? Let's see. I'm actually exhausted just thinking about this. Okay, let's take today, for example. It's summertime, so this is a bit different than the typical school year day, but I'd say equally as hectic. I woke up at 4.30 a.m. because, let's be real, if I want any time to myself, it's going to have to happen at this absurd hour. So I jump out of bed, throw my gym clothes on, wash my face, brush my teeth, grab my work bag and the lunch I packed the night before, and the dirty clothes bin. I throw a quick load of laundry in on my way out the door, get to the gym at 5 a.m., work out for an hour and 15 minutes, shower there, out the door by 6.35, to work at 7 a.m. for my first surgical case. I'm a nurse anesthetist at 7.30. In between cases at work, I orchestrate rides for my kids to their friends' houses they get invited to last minute or field really important calls like, can you order us Panera to be delivered for lunch? Get off work at 3.45, round up my kids, which requires making two different stops, fly home because Colt has a swim meet at 4.30, Harper has basketball at 6 p.m., and Ken is getting picked up for soccer at 6.15. Luckily, we only have to drive Harper and Colt tonight. Get home, change the laundry from the washer to the dryer, throw some snacks in a bag while Colt changes, call my husband to tell him not to forget he has to take Harper to basketball, Make three PBJ sandwiches so I know the kids at least ate something. Tell the girls to get ready for their sports. Load Colt and some chairs and blankets in the car, and off we go. We get home from the swim meet at 8 p.m. Brian and Harper are just pulling in, and Ken is due home any minute. Of course, we are all starving. Let's be real, PBJ can only go so far. So I throw some shrimp in the air fryer along with some chicken nuggets. Brian cuts up some watermelon, and we scarf down our food like ravenous lions eating in a carcass. Get done eating, Brian does the dishes while I fold and put away the load of laundry, make my lunch for work tomorrow, and herd everyone into taking showers. After showers, of course, everyone wants dessert, so I make three bowls of ice cream, jump in the shower myself. While in the shower, I realize I forgot to tell my kid's Uber driver, really my girlfriend's daughter who helps us with driving, that Colt swim practice got moved to a different time tomorrow. So I text her, throw Colt swim stuff in the dryer so it's not sopping wet in the morning from his meat tonight, and put the ice cream dishes in the dishwasher. It's now 9.50. I tell my kids goodnight and to please go to bed at a decent hour. Great parenting. But to my credit, I do have to be up at 4.30 a.m. for a 24-hour shift tomorrow. I crawl in bed and take what seems like my very first breath of the day. Pretty sure I'm asleep two minutes later. Working nine to five. Gotta wait and make 
Today on the program, we're talking about busyness and overwork and burnout and the way activities of daily life can overwhelm us, leaving little time for an unhurried moment with a friend or a spouse or yourself. Busyness and overwork today. Stay with us. Joining me now from Dallas, Texas, is Crystal Brown Tatum, Director of Human Resources at Cadence Delivery. Crystal, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. And Robin Henderson is in Portland, Oregon. She's Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work to Be Well. Robin, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you back. It's great to be here, Sean. So, Let's talk about busyness. If you ask, uh, I'm going to make this number up, but if you ask 100 people on the street, how are you doing? I bet 90 of them say, I'm so busy. We wear our busyness like a badge of honor. And I wonder how healthy that is. Robin, do you have an opinion about that? You know, I do. I think about when I talk with people about how are you doing? What are you up to? Um, people talk a lot about how their days have become just this stack upon stack upon stack of meetings. And, and they'll joke about the fact that they have to put people on mute to take a bio break uh, because they're not building in that time. And there's this sense of if I do more, then I'll be more appreciated. If I do more, then I'll be more important. I am very struck by that in an age where we talk so much about self-care. Does self-care apply to everybody but me? Hmm. You know, there's a, there's a version of this that strikes me, and maybe it strikes me because I don't have children, but I notice it in parents that when you ask, how are you doing, you often get the soccer schedule of their children or when the swim meets are going to be held. It's like they've skipped over even telling you about themselves and they tell you how busy their children are. I was actually going to say a lot of people use busyness as an excuse not to really dive into what's going on. So it's kind of scripted. Hi, how are you? Fine. Hi, have you been busy? So it almost becomes just part of our day-to-day script when we really don't want to get into um I guess, more difficult conversations, or we really don't want to share. Well, it's a badge of honor, like you say, especially when you're looking at your children's schedule. Look at look at how involved my children are. Look at what a good parent I am, because we go from soccer to swimming to lacrosse to the tutor to, to whomever. And we create these personas of, of children who, who don't really understand that, that that's not actually normal that having downtime is okay, that having downtime is actually a healthy thing. Is there any antidote to this? Or is there a way to sort of reclaim the value of leisure time? You know, I think the uh, social media is filled with people who can show you their Instagram photos of reclaiming their leisure time. Look at how well I canoe, look at how well I (laughs) hike. You know, here's my selfie from the top of Mount Hood. Uh, That type of a thing (laughs) is the same idea. Right? So it, it has to be documented, is what you're saying. <laughs> Look at how well I relax. Right. 
Oh, I really worry about us sometime because I think you're right. The only leisure that counts is the leisure that's been Instagrammed. Absolutely. How many times have we logged on and we see nothing but feet in front of a swimming pool or pictures on top of a mountain or coffee cups next to a book? And it's like, here, I'm showing you. Here's my downtime. I really am relaxing, but I have my phone on. Crystal, your work in human resources, I know that you play a role in helping people, employees find assistance with uh, behavioral issues. And I'm wondering if this particular issue is something that declares itself to you. You know, this particular issue is actually very near, near and dear to my heart. In every human resource role I've had, I've been a champion for our EAP, Employee Assistance Program. I think it's the most underutilized um, employee benefit. It's always free to the employee. And sometimes human resource professionals, we're almost like counselors. Employees will come to you and share very personal, intimate, hurtful things that they are going through. And I always have to remember, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, and I certainly wouldn't want to say or do the wrong thing. So mental health, you know, in the workplace is just, I'm very passionate about that. And I always have EAP flyers out. I'm always incorporating that into emails when possible. And when the pandemic hit, I would send out weekly emails to employees with just tips on self-care, things they could do to take care of themselves, to take care of their loved ones, how to, you know, something as simple as a yoga break, a stretch break, unplug, take a walk, just anything I could do to really help people kind of recenter and focus on their own wellness. Robin, has does that menu resonate with you with in your work with Work To Be Well? Absolutely. I, I find that the youth that we work with, uh, we work primarily with high school students, some middle school, some some just fresh into college. But what I find is they're actually better at self-care than I am. A lot of what they talk about and a lot of what they teach is how to, to take cleansing breaths, take a break, um, be sure to have your self-care kit available. Um, this is something that they feel is essential to good emotional well-being and to good mental health. So I think I see the generation coming uh, coming up, the youth coming up today, more open and willing to talk about their mental health, more understanding of the interplay between self-care and positive mental health and candidly productivity, the ability to focus and get what they need to get done. I listened to our students talk about the ability, you know, during the pandemic to just take a break from Zoom school and to really put that away and go outside and be active and do what it was that they could. And many of them had to make conscious choices and plug that into their day because they're high achiever kids. That's their nature. But they've been learning about the importance of self-care in helping them achieve even more. Do you have any example that you can share with us without revealing personal identifying detail that would help us understand like what that looks like in a practical way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
um, we've got kids on our National Student Advisory Council who have shared their own experiences of, of living with anxiety and having um, issues with anxiety and how they use breathing exercises to calm that anxiety and to take space. I've got other kids who've talked about how they consciously have put breaks into their day where they block out their schedule and devices are off and other things like that. And they go outside for whether it's uh, a walk or a bicycle ride. Um, you know, a lot of people are very much into to jogging in that piece of exercise. But I also have kids who will talk about even using the screen time for something completely different. Like one of my personal favorites, cat videos. Who doesn't like cat and puppy videos? <laughs> you know, they make you laugh, they bring you joy. But a lot of kids also will talk about their relationship with animals, especially as a way to relax and to take care of themselves and build that time in. You know, you were part of our broadcast back in November of last year where we we did a sort of preview of um, what the COVID winter would be like. Mm -hmm. Some of the suggestions that we heard, I took to heart. And one of them was... Um, sort of increasing my meditative practice. And some of that I did online, using that screen time in a different way, but it made for a sort of regular spiritual practice in my day that I think really helped me through, through a very difficult time. I, I will tell you that several of our students uh, who work with Work To Be Well should probably be paid by the Calm app because that's their personal favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. I want to talk about the busy busyness as badge of honor again, because I, I'm struck by how that badge gets flashed to different groups. It gets flashed to your, your peer group uh, in your neighborhood. It gets flashed to your coworkers. It gets flashed occasionally to your family to your children, to your partner. And I wonder about how that's supposed to be interpreted. Like, please don't burden me with anything at home. I work really hard when I'm not here. So, you know, don't bother me with this stuff. Mm -hmm. It gets used in a lot of ways. People do use that um, to try to give the impression that they have more responsibility, therefore they're more important to the organization. Uh, they want to fit into the hierarchy. So if you don't appear to be busy, you know, people worry that they won't, they, you know, people don't, won't feel like they have value to the organization. And I'm laughing. I'm thinking back to a coworker I had once and she made a comment to me that was really off-putting. Um, she came in my office and I was working on something fun, like a fun work project. And she said, man, must be nice not to be so busy that you have time for these types of projects. And it was off-putting to me because our work styles were different. I'm a little more efficient. I like to automate things. Whereas her definition of busy means, you know, that you're actively engaged, you have things to do. Like she, we just didn't really see eye to eye on being busy. And she was someone who felt like if you left right at five or five Oh five, you must not have enough work to do. And I really right. challenge people to move away from that. If you are a eight hour employee, 
you get paid to be there eight hours. I mean, um, it's okay to leave at the end of the day. I mean, unless someone has specifically said to you that your performance is low, you're not meeting goals, we need you to stay, something's not getting done, that's reasonable. But I just would encourage employees to kind of move away from feeling guilty about an eight-hour workday because at the end of the day, you are being most salaried employees, you are being paid for eight hours. So don't constantly feel like you have to work nine and 10 and 12. It's not fair to you. And um, after about nine, 10 hours, you're probably not putting in your best work anyway, because you're tired. Right. It's hard to convince a young employee that, and it's hard, I would think for people of color who are in a situation where there may be barriers that have been set up uh, in their workplace where they feel that they have to show themselves to be as competent as anyone else in the company. Thank you for being mindful of that. I know it was instilled in me from a very early age. I have to work twice as hard to be seen. I have to do 100% of the work that someone else could get away with by doing 50% of that same work. Um, and that's not always a healthy mindset to adopt. But when that's been instilled in you from childhood, you're right. You do overwork. You're always busy. You overachieve. You thrive constantly. The constant pursuit of perfection. Yeah, definitely. You know, the other place that I see this playing out, uh, and I so appreciate, Crystal, you're reminding people that, that there's a reason that you're paid for an eight-hour day. Um is in vacation time. And I watched yes. this a lot during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. People just stopped taking vacation and it was kind of this badge of honor that I'm more dedicated, I'm going to be here, I'm going to volunteer more and, and do more and do more. Um, and I see a little bit of that in some of my colleagues um, who are volunteering on the weekends in all the vaccine clinics, which I think is really great work to do. And you need to make time for you and your family too. But I saw a meme this morning uh, as I was scrolling through social media and the meme had the out of office for someone who's in Europe and it said, you know, thank you. I'm out of office, won't be responding to emails for the next three months because I'm backpacking through Europe. And then it had the out of office message for someone here in the United States. And it said, thank you. I'm, I'm out of office for the next two hours getting a kidney transplant, but I will have my cell phone with me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's true. I mean, when we think about this, we have this culture that says the way that you're effective is by always being available, always being the first to respond, always being the one who picks up that email on the weekend. And if you don't, you're not committed. And that's just not true. I have to remind employees to use their PTO because in most companies you can roll over on average 10 days and they expire at the end of March you would be amazed at how upset employees get that they lose vacation days, but no one is responsible for putting in those requests, but the employee. And you don't always have to go somewhere. I think that's another trap. People don't put in for PTO because they don't have these fabulous vacations that they can post on social media. Take a day off if you do nothing but lay in bed and watch law and order marathons. I think there's something to be said about self-care 
that is simply staying in bed and resting. And that's not glamorous. You probably won't post that on social media, but a day off is a day to recharge and regroup and rest. And I don't think people see value in that. They see PTO has, I got to go out and I got to be doing something I can take a picture of. That's Crystal Brown Tatum. And we're going to pause now for the sound effect from Law & Order. And we'll be right back. (laughs) That was brilliant. (laughs) Do any of you know of a workplace where the stated and lived mission communicates to employees, look, your leisure time away from work is as important as the time that you spend here working. And it's important to us that you not become overworked. It's important to us that you take the time off that you have coming to you uh, and that you do wonderful things during that time, like watch Law & Order or backpack through wherever. Because I, I worry sometimes that companies sort of with a wink and a nod allow this to go on and benefit from it. Uh, and I, I hate to say it, I think it happens among nonprofits pretty frequently, that they rely on the goodwill of employees saying, you know, I really believe in the mission of this company and I'm willing to volunteer some of my time. I think they use that as a recruiting message Oh, work-life balance, you know, we want you to take your time off, but I've been in the workforce 34 years. Uh, It's all pomp and circumstance. That's just my honest, uh, transparent HR feedback. They'll get you in the door with the messaging, but it's really not promoted once you become an employee. You know, the American Psychological Association has a program called the Psychologically Healthy Workplace. And corporations and companies can can apply and one of the criteria for winning the psychologically healthy workplace award is just what you're talking about how do you enforce and ensure that employees are taking time off that employees are taking care of themselves and we've created a psychologically healthy work environment and i recall this was a few years ago several years ago but i was at the uh, awards in washington dc and they awarded to the city of las vegas Uh, They were the big award winner that year for how the city of Las Vegas treats their employees and and how all of that works uh, in the city of Las Vegas. And I always wanted to go back through and figure out what is it that Vegas knows about vacationing that I don't? Hmm. I wonder what it is. But of course, what happens in Vegas, Robin, stays in Vegas. So (laughs) we may never know. In the time that we have left, do you have... mm, suggestions like if if we were going to make the robin and crystal corporation do you have suggestions on how to protect employees time and how to express our respect for that i was going to say always ask for help have an honest dialogue with your manager or hr you'd be surprised sometimes duties can be reassigned Jobs can be reevaluated. I've actually seen where after an honest uh, dialogue with an employee, another position has been created because no one really understood that this person was taking on so much work. Um, Honest dialogue with leadership. Use your EAP. 
take your PTO uh, has mental health days and use the weekends to rest. I mean, we all like to have weekend social calendars, but take care of yourself. Those are some of the tips that I would offer. You know, I've had this fantasy in the Robin and Crystal Corporation that (laughs) one of our success metrics that we do when we do our performance uh, reviews at the end of the year is how well did you use your PTO? How well did you use your vacation? And did you exhaust your bank? And that's part of what we begin to measure because here's what we know. Um, People will do what we incentivize. And PTO alone is not enough anymore as an incentive for people to practice self-care and take time off. So I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to ensure two things. One, that our employees are taking time off. And number two, that we're leading by example and taking time off. And when we're gone, we're really gone. And I have made this mistake in my past. I've made myself the indispensable hero. And the reality is what happens when I become the independent, indispensable hero is that's what everybody around me models as well. And that's just not healthy. So I, as a leader, have a responsibility to model appropriate behavior. And when I take time off, I need to be gone. That's so smart. I'll tell you one of the things I've done in the last year that I think has really helped me is I've turned notifications off on my phone. You can do that. Um, And I think it's healthier. You know, when I went to Costa Rica, uh, pre-pandemic with my family, the, the very first thing I did right before I got on the plane was I deleted my work email from my phone. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I couldn't even see it, and I didn't turn it back on until I got back home. Had to reload it and everything. And I'm, I'm going on a vacation at the end of July, and it's my full intention to do the same thing. That must be a pretty liberating feeling. It is. <laughs> Not going to lie. Robin and Crystal, I'm so grateful for the two of you taking time to to talk with us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here today. And, and you know, I'm going to go engage in some self-care now. Good. And I'm going to go get those bylaws to Crystal and Robin Corporation. All right. <laughs> be well. Thank you. Be well. Robin Henderson is Chief Executive for Behavioral Health at Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer for Work to Be Well. Crystal Brown Tatum is Director of Human Resources for Cadence Delivery in Fort Worth, Texas. We'll continue our conversation on busyness and overwork. Just add, stay with us. Hi, I'm Mike Drummond, Executive Producer of the Hear Me Now podcast. The team here is asking all our listeners to vote for the Hear Me Now podcast in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. You can find it by setting your browser to podcastawards.com, sign up to nominate, and look for us in the health category. Again, thank you all for your faithful listening. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. This is the Hear Me Now podcast. I'm Sean Collins. Jocelyn Ida Miller is Home Health Clinical Manager 
for Providence Sound Home Care in Olympia, Washington. Jocelyn, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. So how are you? Well, um, you know, today is not a bad day, but um, it it Glad has been it. Yeah, it has been a challenging year to say the least, and I, I think everybody can probably say that. Uh, but I know in in healthcare in particular, you know, it it has been a very difficult year trying to make sure not only are we taking the best care of the patients that we have. But our caregivers as well, and and they're out on the front lines, um, dealing with patients who, you know, are just as scared of everything that has happened in the last year, um, that some of our caregivers are. So um, it's been managing a lot of fears, and um, learning how to stay resilient when on any given day we don't know what our workforce is going to look like because you know we screen every day and if you have symptoms you're not going to go out and see patients so that means there's somewhere between five and seven visits we have to get covered and you multiply that times a hundred clinicians like we have that can be quite daunting so um, so today is a good day uh, but um, it has been challenging on and off for a good year and a half. Hmm. What strategies do you use as a manager um, to look after those people? Well, I think the first thing is is just being transparent of what is going on and and what our status is. You know, I think back to early on during the pandemic when we didn't have all of the equipment we needed. And Mm -hmm. so we had to make tough decisions and had to have some real frank conversations with our caregivers about this is what we need to do. These are the risks involved, but we also wanna make sure our patients and our community are safe. Um, you know, as, as it's gone on, it's just been being available to listen, um, being available to adjust schedules as we can. Um, you know, when parents were uh, doing a lot of in-home schooling, looking at how we can adjust schedules so that our patients can be seen, but also they can be there for their kids um, who want to continue to learn and need to continue to learn. Um, you know, and, and being transparent too about how I'm feeling or how we as managers are feeling. And, um, you know, for me, I, I always put my caregivers first and think about, okay, how will this affect them? How do we make life easier for them? And, um, you know, that can be a lot, especially when, you know, we may have two managers who have to call out because they may or may not have had, you know, COVID symptoms or something else going on. So taking on on more work, um, for me, what I have had to learn to do is schedule time when I'm not working and, and, and be very diligent about sticking to that um, that time as being my own. Not is that a new it. thing for you? That's a very new thing for me. I, I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, I, I, I work off the clock, uh, not meaning off the clock, not being paid, but I, I, the clock, I am very driven by a clock. 
um, in my in my regular life, but not for my downtime. My downtime has always been mine. Um, but with COVID and with so many things happening, yeah, I have had to schedule time to not be available so that I can take care of myself and get my own things done at home. And has that worked? For the most part, you know, yeah. There's there's give and take with everything, and sometimes what I think is a priority uh, when a caregiver calls and, you know, I had a caregiver recently uh, diagnosed with cancer. I'm going to take that call. That's probably more important, and at least let her know I'm here for her and, and you know, give some guidance on where she can go for support. Uh, but... For the most part, yeah, I've been able to do that. Fortunately, our um, management team has been really good about making sure we do care for ourselves because um, we we want to avoid burnout as much as possible. And it's so easy right now um, to to get to that level. So we're constantly kind of monitoring our caregivers and seeing, how are you doing today? Um, where are you doing? And, and you know, my boss is doing the same thing for me and so on and so forth. And, you know, we have had a, a program within Providence called No One Cares Alone in which we're reaching out to each other to make sure we're okay. And, um, you know, I, I have been the recipient of that. I had um, uh, someone in California reach out to me in February when I was really struggling and it was just nice to know you have that person that if you know hey I am just feeling bad today and she would give me a few words of encouragement I could stop take a breath maybe go take a quick walk outside but then I could regroup come back and I know mm. that someone was there for me um, so really nice. yeah it's been really great in that respect you know, all throughout this pandemic, I've, I've been struck by the fact that everything about it is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And all of us are, um, you know, building the plane as we fly it. <laughs> and um, it seems like month by month, we should be awarding MBAs to any manager in any situation. Because all of you have been learning to do a type of management that you probably have never had to do before. Uh, to a degree that you've never had to do before. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There has been more of that kind of human resource aspect that leaning in and really almost being counselors to a certain degree um, with our caregivers that maybe we wouldn't have necessarily done before. Um, but we're really, you know, and then you have on top of that just the aspect of remote um, yes. group meetings and things like that, which makes connectedness even more difficult. Um, so, But it also opens avenues to connect with people at a distance that you might never think to bring into a meeting if, you, if the meeting was being held around a table in, in a building. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what we have done with my team is... Um, I have started having, because uh, in Providence, we um, do a reflection at every meeting to kind of ground us and remind us of what our mission is, um, you know, brought forth by the Sisters of Providence. And um, 
you know, for what I have, what I have been doing with my reflections every other week is my caregivers are starting to tell their stories so that Mm. people know what's going on with them. And it all gives us a little more compassion for understanding where that person is at this point in time. And maybe, you know, maybe they aren't performing at their absolute best, but here's a reason why. And so, you know, we've, we've been doing that too, to help kind of with that connectedness and just understand where we all are at, because we all, you know, have those struggles that people don't know about. And sometimes just opening that doorway and saying, hey, none of us are perfect, but let's work together and be a team and see what we can do to support each other and our patients. Um, You know, that's been really important. Jocelyn Ida Miller is Home Health Clinical Manager for Providence Sound Home Care in Olympia, Washington. Jocelyn, thanks. No problem. Earlier, we heard from Robin Henderson, Chief Executive for Behavioral Health at Providence, Oregon, and Chief Clinical Officer of Work to Be Well. You'll find a link on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. Crystal Brown Tatum is Director of Human Resources for Cadence Delivery in Fort Worth, Texas. And at the start of the program, we heard Jessica Collins, an advanced practice nurse in St. Louis. She read her calendar for us. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Connect with us on Twitter, where we're human underscore caring. The podcast is produced by Melody Fawcett, Will Rogers, and Scott Acord. We have research help from medical librarians Heather Martin, Catherine Gibb, Seema Bakta, Sarah Viscuso, Carrie Grinstead, and Amanda Schwartz. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.